something following me? <laughs> Is this okay? I'm hot. Thank you. I get that a lot. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, last. Uh, wow. Yeah, I am feel like I'm kind of booming. There we go. Uh, last Saturday, a lot of us went down to the beach and we celebrated uh, by having a baptism and just partying at the beach. And we were going to do a bonfire, but we ended up doing a propane barbecue instead. Same difference, I guess. But uh, we had a lot of fun. And a couple of my guys here uh, from our youth group decided to show up and get baptized last weekend. And they are here this morning. So uh, can I have uh, Keith, Kenny, and Zach come on forward? These are the guys that got baptized. Uh, here's a couple pictures from the weekend. Man, we had a lot of fun. Uh, we've been uh, mentoring and discipling these guys through our life group on Thursday nights with our uh yeah, this was a blast. Uh, here you go, Keith. This is your baptism certificate. Kenny, your baptism certificate. John, Jonathan, Zach Ward. Boy, this was a incredible time. You can see we had a little time of worship together on the beach, and uh, they gave their testimonies. Uh, I'll spare them that right now because they're not ready for that. But uh, this was an incredible time because typically when we go to Huntington Beach, we go to the north side of the pier where the waves break about. 300 feet out. <laughs> These were basically breaking about 10 to 20 feet out. Uh, so the baptism was a little adventurous to say the least. We, uh, uh, the Bible doesn't say anywhere that you have to be baptized backwards, thank God, because uh, the waves would take us and we had some face plant uh, baptisms. <laughs> As you can see, there's Zach. Um, he went forward. I think every one of us went forward on these baptisms. Kenny, I, I, I baptized him and, and is it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the biggest wave of the day came, put him forward, and I went on top of him with my knee on his back, and he's under the water, and I'm like, praise the Lord, where's Kenny? <laughs> and uh, so, but it was an incredible time, and uh, this is one time that I'll never forget. They made a stand for Jesus uh, uh, amongst their friends to go against the grain, and um, they're going to stand for the Lord going out, and we're there to hold them accountable and, uh, and encourage them along the way. So um, give them a hand. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. Good job, guys. Good job. Anything you want to say? Anyone want to say anything? I look great. You look great. You do. You do. Remember, I'm the hot one, though. Okay. <laughs> Bony knees. Thank you. Uh, praise the Lord. Thank you. That was awesome. awesome. The water was great. Yes. It was cold at first. It was too salty. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Be blessed. Keep them in your prayers as we go forward here. they got an incredible walk ahead of them. Amen? Um, you're going to be excited about this later, let me tell you. Um, so uh, this morning as we get started, uh, the Lord has really put on my heart a, a topic that I believe all of us can relate to one way or the other, either directly or indirectly, and that's the topic of loneliness. I want, I, I'm really excited this morning because of what God has already done in our hearts this morning in worship. Uh, Julie, I feel like you really hit my message on the head uh, with the Word of God and, and, the, and the love of God and how we are receivers of the love of God, but we also need to be um, givers of the love of God at the same time. It's exciting. Um, but as we get started, I want to um, just show you a quick video about where we're going as a society and even as a culture in this, on this topic of, of loneliness and, and how it affects us either directly or indirectly. So check this out. It's a little heady, but uh, I think we all have heads, so we can work with that. <laughs> check it out. A simple thought. Monkeys that are known to have a developed social life organize in small groups of several dozen members. The size of each of these groups is limited. In order for them to function, 
all members of the group need to know each other well. The average size of the group changes from 20 to 50 members. When the number of monkeys in a group passes a certain threshold, the social order crumbles and the group tends to split into two separate groups. A similar situation can be found amongst humans as well. The invention of language and gossip has helped us shape larger and more stable groups. Sociological research indicates that the maximum natural size of a group of humans is roughly 150 members. Most humans are just incapable of intimately knowing more than 150 people, so even today the threshold of human organization is around the number of 150 members. Man is a social creature, and the feeling of loneliness can drive him mad, yet the Western and modern world sanctions individuality. The individual is measured by personal achievements, such as having a career, wealth, a self-image, and consumerism. In this course of action, many people lose their social and familial connections in favor of a self-actualization ideal. As the social fabric in the Western world weakens, it is not surprising that more and more people define themselves as lonely. And thus, loneliness has become the most common ailment of the modern world. One of the possible reasons for this ailment is the online social network. In a world where time is money, in which our surroundings heavily pressure us to achieve more and more, our social life becomes tainted and more demanding than ever before. And then there's technology. Simpler, hopeful, optimistic, ever young. We become addicted to virtual romance, disguised by the social network which supplies an impressive platform that allows us to manage our social life most effectively. However, our fantasies about substitutions are starting to take a toll. We're collecting friends like stamps, not distincting quantity versus quality, and converting the deep meaning and intimacy of friendship with exchanging photos and chat conversations. By doing so, we're sacrificing conversation for mere connection, and so a paradoxical situation is created, in which we claim to have many friends while actually being lonely. So what is the problem in having a conversation? Well, it takes place in real time, and you can't control what you're going to say. And that is the bottom line. Texting, email, posting, all of these things let us present the self as we want it to be. We get to edit, and that means we get to delete. Instead of building true friendships, we're obsessed with endless personal promotion, investing hours on end building our profile, pursuing the optimal order of words in our next message, choosing the pictures in which we look our best, all of which is meant to serve as a desirable image of who we are. We're expecting more from technology and less from each other. The social networks aren't just changing what we're doing, but also who we are. And that's because technology appeals to us most where we are most vulnerable. And we are vulnerable. We are lonely, or we're afraid of intimacy, while the social networks offer us three gratifying fantasies. One, that we can put our attention wherever we want it to be. Two, that we will always be heard. And three, that we will never have to be alone. And that third idea, that we will never have to be alone, is central to changing our psyches. It's shaping a new way of being. The best way to describe it is, I share, therefore, I am. We use technology to define ourselves by sharing our thoughts and feelings, even as we're having them. Furthermore, we're faking experiences so we'll have something to share, so we can feel alive. We slip into thinking that always being connected is going to make us feel less alone, but we are at risk because the opposite is true. If we are not able to be alone, we're only going to know how to be lonely. Interesting uh, concept, isn't it? Um, 
let's uh, let's break it up on the Bible this morning. Let's uh, get our zipper zipped, unzipped, and uh, however you do it, <laughs> we're going to need this. As we get started this morning, Father God, we just come to you this morning. We thank you for um, what you placed in our lives to be stewards of, God, and somehow the, uh, these things can take over in our lives and, and create a, a factor that uh, can bring us into depression and a, a lot loss of hope. God, but we look to you and your word this morning. We ask that you would come and reveal to us a new factor that uh, eliminates this thought of loneliness and, and brings us closer to you, Lord God. As we draw near to you, would you draw near to us as the promises in your word and uh, bring us ever ever closer to this, this relationship that brings us stronger in this life here on earth. We give you our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to spread out a little bit here. Um, I did some research on um, on the internet, one of our awesome technical advances, and uh, I pulled up Wikipedia, and it showed us, I, I wanted to see how many kind of social networks are out there, so um, I went ahead, and these are a couple that you might be familiar with, the most Famous one is up there in the center, Facebook, right? We're all familiar with Facebook nowadays. We got Twitter and we got Pinterest. We got Zanga, which a lot of us don't know what Zanga is. It's, a, it's mostly teenagers are involved with this one. This is a lot of uh, online gaming through Facebook and, and things like that. YouTube, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, My, MySpace. I don't even know if that's even really relevant anymore, <laughs> even around. But that's kind of the thing that got us really started in this area. Um, and that one, I can't remember what that one is. Is that Yelp? Okay, Yelp. Yeah, I mean, these things can be good, and they connect us, and they really, uh, they can be awesome, or that's probably a bad vernacular to use here, but a great way to um, expound businesses and advertise and reach out to um, to the marketing of whatever it is that you do. Um, but I know a lot of us in here probably don't relate directly to this idea of social networking, at least as we know it in technology today. Uh, so, but I do want to just hit it for a second. How many in here has have Facebook? If you have Facebook, let me see your hand. Okay, great. Um, if you have more than one Facebook, can I see your hand? <laughs> Some people, yeah. Okay, how many have, um, say, 300 people on their friends list? 300 plus? Okay, how about 400 plus? 500 plus? Some, some people are checking their Facebook right now. Okay, 600 plus? Oh, my goodness, 700? 800? Jesse takes the win, <laughs> the trophy. Wow. Jesse, do you have like the milkman from when you were like four years old on your Facebook? Or <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. You came from Hawaii. Um, wow. But, you know, a lot, like this video was saying, we get wrapped up in projecting an image of ourselves a lot of times on Facebook that, uh, that isn't real because we, we have the option of creating kind of a reality that isn't, well, it's unrealistic. And... Uh, it's funny because I see some people, especially in youth group, that'll post these random and endless rants <clears throat> about people that they have frustrations with, and uh, they don't put a name on it, like, thanks for ruining my day, you're such a jerk. And that's all the post is, and you look at it, and you're like, I'm one of the people reading this. Is you think I'm the jerk? <laughs> Am I the random person here? And uh, <clears throat> we just we just put, like you said, we have the ability to, de- to delete and not... Um, in conversation, we don't have that a lot of times. Oh, back up, scratch that from memory. We can't do that. Uh, so, but this is the way that a lot of us want to try to build this pseudo uh, life that we have. So <clears throat> and as we try to build our friendships uh, on Facebook, a lot of times we, uh, we see that 
we're comparing each other with other people. Like we were not as popular unless we have more people than Jesse or, or <laughs> if we can, if we can get up and above three, I have 350 on my, on my friends list. And, and as we were looking at this video, uh, it says that we don't, we're just basically, it's impossible for to have any kind of connection above 150. Uh, and really when it comes down to an intimate friendship, I think it goes down to like five or 10. You guys remember when we were doing some of that, that research? Um, Pastor Jeff shared something on his Facebook recently about Lumbar's video, Lumbar's numbers. Dunbar, Dunbar's numbers, which this basically just puts it in video form for you, but says the exact same thing. Um, and here we are in a society that wants to connect with a million people, but only have a relationship that's that deep. You know? So social media was never really meant to replace real life, but uh, sadly enough, it's, it's, for a lot of us, it's taking us there. Even if you don't relate directly to the social media aspect, um, some of us, even and some, some of the elderly people can get wrapped up in, in waiting for the next email to come around. What's the next forward going to be? And then we put our trust in the forwards. Isn't that that's just kind of crazy? You know, did you know the government just outlawed cats in China? Uh, <laughs> really? Did you know that? It's true. It came through email. <laughs> but <laughs> we were, when Rob, Pastor Rob was doing his message last week and wrapping up the book of Colossians, and he was going through this list on Colossians 4, 7 through 18, um, you'll see that, uh, I'm not going to read it, but I'm just going to throw it up here real quick so we can see I highlighted the names through here. He mentions over 10 people that he had connection with, even though he was in jail. He had over 10 people and this was, he's not even on Facebook yet. <laughs> and he's got <laughs> all these people. So, but we can see from this list alone, uh, and this, this includes all the people in um, Heropolis and Laodicea. Uh, you know, he's got a wide network of friends, but he's still got a closer network of people that he's partnering with. Um, so <clears throat> as, we look, as we look through this, there is a couple of books in the, in the New Testament that are called the, the prison epistles. Um, those, these are the books that, that uh, Paul wrote while he was in prison. That's hence the prison epistles. And Colossians is one of them. Uh, let's make no doubt about it, though, because one of the greatest writers in the New Testament faced probably some of the most loneliest times of anybody in the New Testament, um, aside from Jesus. But here he is. He's in jail. And one of the books that he writes in these prison epistles is known as the Book of Joy. <laughs> it's uh, the prison epistle of Philippians. And uh, it's, he's all by himself, separated from his friends, writing a letter, speaking about how much he misses all of them and how much he has enjoyed knowing them and serving with them. And uh, basically by the virtue of uh, the fact that he's probably going to die of some kind of sickness or, or something in jail. And so he's, he's writing out to his closest friends. And this, uh, this idea of loneliness for me in the, in the Bible, it freaks me out a little bit because I, have you, how many of you guys have seen the movie, The Nativity Story? You guys seen the nativity story? In there, it, it paints such a picture of community and uh, like everybody being in everybody's business all the time. And this was just like the way it was, right? They had huts and, and, and houses where the doors were always open and they would go in and it's time for school. They'd sit around and they'd share the story out of Isaiah. And um, it was just everybody knew everybody's business from across the block even. And it was just, that's how life was back then. So this idea of being separated and being lonely was, is pretty uncommon to me to think about. However, there were moments where, where people separated themselves and got, and got into lonely situations because of their stance for Christ. Um, and those are the, some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning. Um, and those moments were, were okay in the fact that, uh, well, we think about Jesus. He said that face it all, uh, consider it all joy when we face trouble and persecutions all, of all kind. You know, you're, those, those kind of moments produce loneliness, and you're going to be in, in, a, in a 
in a place where if you're not surrounded by people, um, you can you can lead to despair and and depression and uh, suicidal thoughts. And, but I want to show you today that uh, that it doesn't have to be something that sends us into that kind of depression. It can actually um, bring us closer to God if we look at it the right way. Uh, because what was nearly extinct in the New Testament is almost is is like an epidemic today for us here. So what I did was I, I looked up on on the internet again, <laughs> Wikipedia. One of my favorite sites because anybody could add whatever they want in Wikipedia and say whatever they want. <laughs> no, but the, you know, there is a filter system, so there, are, there is some truth here. But Wikipedia says this about loneliness. It says, loneliness is a complex and usually unpleasant emotional response to isolation or lack of companionship. Loneliness typically includes anxious feelings about a lack of connectedness or communality with other beings, both in the present and extending into the future. As such, loneliness can be felt even when surrounded by other people. That, that used to drive me nuts when people would say that. I'm around you all the time. How can you feel so lonely? But it's true. Research has shown that loneliness is widely prevalent throughout society among people in marriages, relationships, families, and successful careers. Loneliness has also been described as social pain, a psychological mechanism meant to alert an individual of isolation and motivate him or her to seek social connections. That last part kind of kind of grabbed me. You know, it's it's a mechanism that our brain produces to say, hey, you know what? Something's wrong here. We got to get connected. It's a psychological mechanism meant to alert an individual of isolation and motivate him or her to seek social connections. And I went, wow, God, God gave us this ability to connect to connect us. That's what we need. There's a book out there called Bowling Alone. Has anybody read this book or heard of this book? How about heard of this book? Bowling Alone. Okay, cool. It's written by a Harvard Business School professor, Robert Putman. In it, he traces the decline in friendship and relationship and the increase in loneliness and isolation over the course of about 25 years. He talks about how, he can, how you can see the transition from one generation of people having life together to, and to how we experience it now. And I've totally related to some of these because I've been through a generation. <laughs> if generations are now 25, I thought it was like 65 or 70, but apparently it's 25 now. But <laughs> but it says here, number one, it says playing cards together. Just playing cards together is down 25%. And I remember that used to be something I did all the time. I've been out of high school for about 20 years now. Um, not quite 20 years, but I'm getting there. And uh, that's what we used to do. We used to play cards, and I used to take people's money. Uh, from No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> playing cards is down. And as you know, it's not just about playing cards. It's about connecting with people, right? It's about being together and having fun and just sharing life. Um, another statistic he says is that an evening with neighbors is down 33%. And I remember just uh, growing up in our household, my, my parents would have people from down the street come up and, and, uh, or down, down from down the road. We'd come over and have dinner together and we'd play cards. And <clears throat> but if you're anything like our family now, in my household and on our street, we're pretty much disconnected from everybody in our street. In fact, we, we give houses names on our street. <laughs> like, I don't know if you do this, but we go like, that's the money house down there. That's the English house down there. That's the, the money house down there. That, that place doesn't have any money. That place is a tweaker house. That's the nocturnal house. That's, you know, we just give these names and we don't connect with the people inside of these houses or neighbors, right? But the Bible says that we are to love our neighbors, Right, we're to be, we're to practice hospitality, and so I get convicted about these things, and I think I get these ideas in our head about what can we do with life groups. And here's just an idea. I'm just going to throw this out here. I think life groups can be such a, a great way to impact our community for Christ, and and sometimes we get we stray away from the idea of reaching into our community. Um, but here's such a simple way: 
don't share Christ. <laughs> okay, at first. Don't share Christ at first. In fact, Cho, uh, one of the largest churches in the world, says, you know, you should probably do at least six nice things to, to somebody before you actually share Christ with that person, and then they'll be more receptive to that person. So, so a thought I had was, what about a block party? Uh, just let's start with, uh, you know, not like a party where <laughs> everybody bring their own beer and stuff, but uh, a party where we just get together, hang out, let's have a barbecue, let's get to know one another and hang out in friendship and, and not be afraid, or the people shouldn't be afraid of coming over and of you sharing Amway with them or, or of you sharing your newest uh, conspiracy theory with them and trying to convict them of it, you know? Just, let's just hang out. I mean, Christians can be normal people, right? <laughs> so, sure. I got <laughs> yeah, some of us can be, I guess. Uh, <laughs> You know, Paul says, I've become all things, all men, <laughs> by all possible means. No, um, but anyways, let's go on. Family dinners, it says, uh, he says, are down 33%. Having friends over is down 45%. The readiness of the average American to make new friends is down 33% um, from 85 to 99. Uh, crazy. Boy, that percentage is at the wrong spot. So I think you fix that in your own head. Uh, <laughs> But that basically means that a bunch of people are socially isolated. They're lonely. They're wanting relationship, but they're unwilling to make relationship. And there's people in here, they're probably in here right now, but there's people out there going, I need a friend. I want a friend. And there's a person over here going, I want a friend. I want a friend. And somebody says, who wants to go? And somebody goes, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm good. We're, we're unwilling to do it. And so we get a bunch of loners, and people even come to church sometimes expecting to get some kind of friendship, and they expect somebody else to initiate, and so we're all left, and we sometimes we go around, go away lonely from church, which is kind of a sad concept, and that's not true at Christian Center, right? Right. Okay. Good. The American Sociological Review looked at social isolation, thank you, in America. It says that the average American has only two friends which is down since, down from three since 1985. <laughs> I don't know what happened to the third person. <laughs> Maybe he got voted off. He watched too much TV or something. But, uh, but it's going down. You know, 10 years from now, it's going to be down to one person. And then after that, it's probably just going to be you listening to country music. But... <laughs> I, no offense to you country listeners out there. <laughs> I like, I like country music. I mean, in fact, there's a song out there called, you know, I want you to love me like my dog. I mean, some of us think our best friend is our dog. You know, It's a funny song. But anyways, uh, in this review, it also says 25% of Americans have no one to confide in. To confide in. This means that, you know, life is hard, guys. We know life is hard and there's no one to talk to. I need counsel and there's no one to talk to. There's no one to ask. I'm struggling and nobody to help me. And I think this explains a lot of why the, the increase in counseling and psychology and, and therapy has gone up because uh, a lot, we're, we're paying people, other people, to do something that real friends should be able to do and sympathize and, and confide in and empathize with us. Recently, I had a girl in our youth group that I was taking home one night and she said, you know, I don't have really any close friends. They... Because what happens is they get to know me, and then they figure out they can't fix me, and then they leave. And we don't, so I don't really have any close friends. I have acquaintances more than anything. And I'm like, oh, my heart kind of broke. I'm like, oh. You know, she, and this is a girl that struggles with depression all the time, extreme depression. And um, I had other girls in the, or people in the car with me, and I said, you know, 
what do you think she needs, guys? What do you think is the one thing that would really um, at least hold her over for a moment and, or for her life? And, and of course, the answer was Jesus. And, uh, but I said, you know what? Really, I think Jesus is, is going to be your answer here and here out. You can't really look to people all the time for your solid answer in, in correcting your loneliness, although that is a big part of it but they're going to let you down because Jesus is the only one that's going to be able to fix you when it comes down to it. People can't fix you. They're going to try and they're going to fail. And we can lead you to Jesus, but they're not going to be the one that fixes you. So anyways, going on, 80% of Americans only confide in their family. This can be a scary thought for me to think of. I know some of your families. I know my family. Uh, uh, and I'm not talking about in-laws here, Okay. <laughs> I'm talking about direct family members. These are the only people you can fight in. <laughs> Let me see if you, see me get out of this one, right? Um, no, what happens though, guys, is that if, if these are the people that, that we only can fight in, um, and we lose connection to anybody outside of our family, it creates a real dilemma before us uh, because we're either going to divide and split the family um, because we're only talking about our issues to the people that are the issues <laughs> or have connection to the direct issues. <laughs> but the result is that, that, that people move on and they, they're, they're talking to people that they don't have connection with, with and they discuss their loneliness and their isolation in a culture of social media and for the world to see. And it doesn't fix the problem. It only makes every other people angry at the problem and against other people at the problem, gaining their side uh, of the problem. <laughs> and we get things like blogs and internet sites and TV shows like Oprah and chairs getting flown around. And, um, you know, it gets, <laughs> it gets unpacked and it gets pretty crazy. But the problem is, it, really, it, we're lonely. We want to connect with people. And there's something, here's a real crazy thing that's kind of new in our, in our culture nowadays. It's called the coffee shop. Perfect way to connect with people, right? Uh, this is this is a picture of a coffee shop. This is just everybody connecting with each other, <laughs> right now. There, intimate friendship going on right here. Um, yeah, <laughs> they're probably like these. This computer right here. This this lady probably got this guy so mad he just left, and because they're talking back and forth, and <laughs> looks like something from Battleship or something. I don't know. But. <laughs> you can, I mean, some of us know how to work a coffee shop, right? We go in with our $7 cup of coffee and we sit down and we talk with our friend face to face, but that's in reality, that's, that's happening less and less and less. And we're connecting um, through social media and just being connected disconnectedly together in community. And um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So, anyway, and you know, we could go on and on about all these things that separate us and how we try to fill this void. I mean, there's things like Craigslist. You can go on and try to find a friend on Craigslist or, or other ridiculous things. Uh, there's parties, you know, the bar scene, and there's pets instead of people. Like I said, like I said that song just popped up to me when I was po- writing, writing this. I thought, yeah, this uh, country song says, I want you to love me like my dog because my dog is, is closer to me, and I'd rather have a friendship with my dog because he can't talk back to me. <laughs> and he actually moves and has a face and can make some expressions. But, um, but <laughs> we search and we scramble and we reach for everything except for the real thing that's going to fill our emptiness. But here's the thing. I think that loneliness and isolation, guys, can be a place that, that can really be a great beginning, for, beginning point for God to build his character in our lives. Um, because God is a tri- Trinitarian God. He's a, tri- he's a triune God. He's three persons. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's complete 
He's unified. He's one. And within the very character of God, we have love, we have community, we have respect, we have relationship within the, the triune God, between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that he made us in his likeness, right? We all remember that? <laughs> Which means that we're built for relationship. We're built for these things. We're built for communi- community, communication, contact, knowing others and being known by others. We desire that. And, and you know what? It's a good thing to desire that. And these are good things to have. But in Genesis 1 and 2, Jesus or God said, it's not good for man to be alone because we're made for relationship. We're Trinitarian in the fact that we're image bearers of God. We're mirrors of God. So what does God do? He takes the first man. He creates for him the first woman. Adam and Eve are married. They have children. And the loneliness is cured. Adam's not alone anymore. Through relationship with God and with one another, through family, through children, we see it reflected. If you guys have the Truth Project or have gone through the Truth Project, um, uh, Dr. Del Tackett really explains this really cool and it's such a great way in sociology about uh, how, how the Trinitarian God reflects, is reflected in so many aspects of our society, in, in family, in, uh, in the workplace, in um, just our regular friendships. It's, it's incredible. But what happens in chapter 3 of Genesis? The apple hounds, right? The sin happens. And what does sin do? It separates us. It separates them from God. They hide from God. Sin separates them from one another. They hide from one another. Sin doesn't just disconnect us from God. It disconnects us from one another as well. It leads us to distrust with God and to distrust with each other. And that's why we experience loneliness. It's, it's, just, it's another effect of sin in, our, in this world that we live in. We're separated from God. And that's why to this very day that we, we still have this ongoing battle with it. Now, I'm not saying that all social media is sin and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take over our lives. We're all going to die from it. Social media eventually is going to take over the world and robots are going to run around. That's my conspiracy theory. Um, but <laughs> I think that in 1 Corinthians 6.12, it says that all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power other translations say master or enslaved by any of it. So see, the problem is, is that when things become our master or we can become enslaved by something, not just social media, but when, when we get enslaved or mastered by something, we don't know it. By the, time, by the time it's mastered us, we don't know it's mastered us and we think we still have total control over it. Um, and the Bible says that sin, when it's fully developed, leads to what? Death, which is spiritual separation from God loneliness, which can lead to condemnation and depression. And this is why we need people in our lives that, that can get in our face and say, dude, you've been mastered. <laughs> Facebook's got a control on you. Dude. <laughs> you know, Maybe you need to take a break for a while or something. We need people like that in our lives. And most of us in here would say that the cure for loneliness is friendship, right? Most of us would say friendship is the cure for loneliness. Now, I don't totally disagree with that, but I think it's a little incomplete to say that friendship will, clear, will cure loneliness. As I said earlier, I think Jesus is, is, is the ultimate cure, and we'll hit that in a second, but friendship is a big piece of it, but not in the way that we know it. I don't think the way that we think friendship is is not the kind of friendship that we need, because I think a lot of us um, think that friendship is really more or less based upon a proximity or an affinity of the other person. And, and let me explain. Uh, proximity meaning that, that we're near one another. We live near one another. We go to school with one another. Or we work with them. Uh, physically, we find ourselves in the same place with one another, like church here. 
but that it's hard but then it, that's it that's that then we think we have friendship because of our proximity with each other and then, then that person moves away and there's no connection with that person anymore have you ever gone through your old yearbook and thought where did these people go i happened to bring my yearbook from the, uh, my graduating yearbook go big bear that's me case anybody looks just like me huh okay <laughs> but listen to some of these incredible insights i had Back <laughs> yeah, you guys are laughing already because you know what I'm going to read. Um, I'm just so glad you're my friend. You're really neat, and I hope we will be friends for a long time. Don't need to know this person <laughs> anymore. I can't even remember who this is. <laughs> uh, let's let's see here. This this is the. F- this is the front. You have been a true gentleman and an awesome witness for God. Don't, oh, I'm just using that one to puff me up. I'll pass on. Um, he says, hey there, I'm going to miss seeing you around next year. Thanks for everything. I'm sure you'll still be driving me everywhere. See you. And I can't even put a face to this name. I'm like, I know the name, but I can't even, I'm like, I must have drove this person around a lot or drove him crazy a lot. Maybe that's what they meant. And then there's this one. I like this one. It's upside down because that's how we do things in high school. It says, it's so nice of me to sign your book. <laughs> Ed, much luck and godly direction to you. You have lots of potential. No matter where you go in life, you better keep in touch. The initials are Peggy Tunnel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and after 20 years almost, she's still in my life. That's, uh, that's a good thing, right? So we still have connection there. That's good. But it's been great to know you in biology. You have extreme faith. Never lose that. Stay in touch. And I don't know how many of you guys have gone through these and looked at all these these different names and, and signatures that people just put their infinite wisdom into. And you go, who was that person? And, and that's because you don't have the, the friendship. We had this illusion of friendship. I look back at those people and I just go, God, where are they now? I hope I made an impact back then even. But we have this illusion, you know, because we, we sat next to them in class. We went to the same school together, but we really didn't have this deep, meaningful relationship. We had proximity. We had affinity, meaning that we, we liked the same band or we were in the same club or we were in the same sports team or we enjoyed the same hobby. We had the same social network. Uh, so there's something that connected us there. And, that, you know, that, those things aren't that bad, really. Those things can be the start of something much, much deeper. And that's what, how a lot of friendships start is because affinity or proximity. But these friendships are, are also, they're really needed. They're extremely needed in the body of Christ. But they don't cure loneliness most of the time. They just kind of mask it. But however, let me say this. We, we as Christians have this affinity that draws us together, and that's Jesus Christ. The proximity that draws us together is the church. It's the community. It's the body of Christ, and we need that. But we also need something closer outside of the four walls on this Sunday morning. In fact, these uh, if we're bound together by and knit together only by affinity and life changes or our hobbies change, um, then we get disconnected. And maybe these, these relationships weren't really that significant. And we get sad because we think we lost our, our best friend. <laughs> it really wasn't even that deep. But Paul gives us the answer to the subject of loneliness. And this is what I really want to focus on this morning. This is called gospel partnership. Um, and we'll come to, we'll wrap this up soon. But gospel partnership is the answer to a bit, or at least a big piece of the answer to our, our topic of loneliness. If you came this morning and you knew that the topic of preaching on this morning was loneliness, a lot of you guys probably would have stayed home and, bought and been lonely. <laughs> but uh, I want to give you an answer here, and this is, this is the up part. This is the good part. 
It means that Jesus is in the center of the relationship between you and somebody else. And that could be your friends. It could be a family member. It could be your parent. It could be a spouse. Um, whoever it is, Jesus is between the two of you. He's in the center. And it's so important because at some point, sin's going to come in. You guys are going to offend each other. Sin's going to happen. And it's gonna, sin is going to have the tendency to draw us apart, right? It leads to death and spiritual separation. Now, and we all understand that Jesus came to take away our sins, right? He brought to us a ministry of reconciliation. We have a responsibility and a ministry. Each one of us has a ministry in here of reconciliation, which means that even if we aren't that close with somebody, we still have this, this reconciliation responsibility to make amends with somebody that we might have an offense with. So 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to him through Jesus Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ and his work in our lives. And it reconciled us to God the Father. Now, we have the same responsibility now to reconcile people to God himself as well. They say um, in marriage, uh, there's only two problems with marriage, the man and the wife. <laughs> and other than that, marriage has extreme possibilities. But, um, <laughs> but if Jesus is in the center... You know, because th- something's going to happen. You know, how many of you guys have been married and in here married for, I'm going to go at least where I'm at right now, 13 years or 12 years, right? 12 years? No, get it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, more than 12 years. You know what? If it wasn't Jesus, most of you guys are probably Christians, right? You have a strong relationship with God. Uh, you probably, if it wasn't for God, you guys probably wouldn't be together any- <laughs> still, right? It's a gospel-based partnership. It's a relationship where Jesus is in the center. He could take away the sin. And it's an understanding that says we're going to do our life together as Christians. We're going to treat one another as God has treated us. When we sin, we're going to repent. Now, I know that might, you guys might have tried really hard to, to keep your marriage together. And maybe you guys were both Christians and there was just something that in there that, that, that just didn't work out for you. And there's, there's still grace there. God doesn't condemn you for that. He wants to have that relationship back with you again. And I know a lot of you guys have reconciled that, your relationship with God. And, and I've seen relationships where they have gotten divorced and um, come to amends and, and they've come to a stronger understanding relationship with God and they end up back married again, which is an incredible restoration process that, that God can make happen. And he does make happen. The gospel partnership is like a friendship, but it's so, so much deeper. It's more enduring and it knows what to do with the sin problem. It's the gift that Christians should have in their relationships. We should know what to do with sin. <laughs> We should just, non-Christians don't, right? In the secular world, sin leads to fracturing, it leads to divorce, it leads to disappointment, despair, discouragement, isolation, loneliness, hurt, pain, grief, sorrow. And so much of what we experience emotionally is the result of sin. It's, just, it's felt in our relationships. So think about Paul for this quick second. He says, he's a, here's a guy that should, by all accounts, he should be totally depressed. He's totally without hope. He has a he has nothing that we would use to cure our loneliness. He has no wife. He has no kids. He has no grandkids or home, a hometown or a home church. He's not in proximity with people. His friends are far away in a town called Philippi. He's writing a letter to them, and he doesn't have really a lot of affinity with these people either because they're married. He's single. Many of them have children. He doesn't. They're going to work, and he's going to the other side of his jail cell. They're really <laughs> at different phases in their life. But here he starts off this section of Scripture in Philippians 1. If you guys want to go there, that's fine. I'm going to throw it up here on the screen for a second, only because I wanted to highlight certain sections out of the scripture. But it says, and he talks about how much joy he has because of the partnership and the gospel that, that they had with him. 
He starts off right off the bat. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always at every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of the partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witnesses, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Mm. He opens up with this, with this one word, grace. I love that song, Gary. Thank you for playing that song, Grace is Enough. It's, grace is what should summarize what we believe about God as Christians. I mean, we're sinners, but God is gracious, right? He's a God of grace. When we sin, God convicts us. We repent. God is gracious enough with us, and he gives us undeserved favor, favor and un, unmerited love, and, and we're not obligated to God. We don't have to pay him back for this grace, but he's given us grace in every way because he's such a great, huge, and amazing God, and we're bound to Jesus in this relationship. He's a God who gives grace, and we receive his grace humbly, and we're to share it gladly. We receive it humbly going, God, I don't deserve this but I receive it. Your grace is enough for me, and I, I give it to others. I need to give it to others gladly. If you sin against me and you tell me, uh, you know, and, and I, I repent, and I have to think, and you repent, and I have to think, you know what? God had grace on me. I have to, you know, I don't have to. I get to. I get to have grace on you, and I get to give it to you. Down in, in, in verses three and four, Paul's saying, gospel-based partnership with Jesus at the center is in the center of the relationship is something that is centered on grace. It results in peace and leads to new memories. Let me say that again. It's centered on grace. It results in peace and leads to new memories. Having grace with people can bring a peace in your relationship that, uh, that'll just stun you half the time. You know what? I, I, what you did to me might, might've been wrong and I try to understand it and I'll, maybe I'll forgive you. I'll give it into God's hands and let him, um, do what any kind of justice he needs to do, but I'm still on pursuit of relationship with you, and that grace is going to bring peace to that relationship. But Paul here is in prison, and he's dying. He says, always in every prayer of mine for all of you, I make prayer with joy. Let's not forget, he's in prison. <laughs> he's suffered. He has this thorn in his flesh, the Bible says, or he says of himself, and he's, he's suffering sicknesses, and, and he's dying, and he says he has joy. More, he says joy more than 14 times in this, in this book. And it's more than any other book in the New Testament. It's the book of joy. But he's also suffering. And this is, this is important to us to understand because I think a lot of us in here have been taught the Christian art of faking it, really. How are you today? Great. God is good. <laughs> and you know what? He is good, and sometimes we need to make those faith statements. And I know we're not supposed to bear all, and we can't bear all to everybody, but the Bible says that we can do this. We can rejoice. We should rejoice with those who rejoice, and we need to weep with those who mourn, and we need those um, to do the same with us. And it also says that we're to bear one another's burdens. If we have an issue that's coming in our lives, and we say, man, this is really hard. Can you take this for a while? Here's my bills, Gary. No. Um, 
No, but, but we can say, you know what? I'm going to pray with you on that. I'm going to stand in faith with you on that. And, and that person's going to take it to God. We got to trust that because um, we, have to, we have to be able to have partnership with people we could trust in. And it's not just going to be anybody off the street. We build this relationship by a partnership that says, you know, I'm going to work. We're going to live life together in, as Christians together. And it says in, in Isaiah that Jesus was a man of sorrows. And so it's okay to be bummed out. If we need to reflect the love of Jesus, Jesus was a man of sorrows as well. In fact, the majority of the Psalms are songs of lament. People who are bummed out, Ecclesiastes 3 says that there's a time for weeping. There's a time for sadness and sorrow. So we don't have to fake happy. (laughs) Joy is a lifestyle that includes sorrow. It includes grief and includes pain and poverty and loneliness and sometimes death. But all the stuff that Paul's writing about in Philippians, because he says this, joy is a lifestyle, get this, this is important. Joy is a lifestyle that celebrates the forward progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Joy is a lifestyle that celebrates the forward progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just started going crazy. I started writing. I said, you know, Paul's saying, I'm suffering, but the gospel is going forward. I'm hurting, but the gospel is going forward. I'm lonely, but the gospel is going forward. I'm dying, but the gospel is going forward. And my joy is in the forward progress of the gospel. It's not all meaningless. It's not all vanity. It's meaningful. And people are seeing the difference that Jesus is making in my life. And it's encouraging them to investigate Jesus. And people are becoming Christians and their lives are getting changed and sin is being forgiven and relationships are being reconciled and people are receiving hope and new life, and I rejoice in the forward progress of the gospel. Man. Statements like that can just, it builds our spirit to make these these claims. Um, I did tell you guys to open your Bibles this morning, so we're going (laughs) to, you're going to go there. Go to Hebrews 4.15 for me, with me. And thinking of this, everything is an opportunity for the forward progress of the gospel, no matter where you're at this morning. Think of it as a, how can this be turned around as a forward progress of the gospel? Because we need to persevere. We need to be people that do it with us. But let me tell you something as we, as we close here right now. The reason that you could persevere through whatever circumstance or whatever state of mind that you're in this morning is because he is right there with you. The Bible says it himself. Hebrews 4.15. Hebrews 4.15. A lot of us have this committed to memory because we need this kind of stuff. It says, 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize, sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. But the first part, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Can we just bow our heads as, we, as, as I just encourage you and admonish you this morning? I don't know where you're at this morning. God knows where you're at. I don't know where your heart is. I'd like to know where your heart is directly, but he knows you guys and he knows right where you are at this very moment. He hurts with you, but he's for you. He's not against you. And we just read in Colossians that he who began a good work in you will complete it. And that's a promise. He says he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. That's a promise. And we need to get this word. We need to get the words of life in us. We need to remember these things. As our heads are bowed, he's been there. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you're going through. And he has not given up on you this morning. 
no matter how far you think you've gone this morning, his grace is sufficient for you and he is near you. And you cannot and will not ever, ever wear out his grace. When it comes down to it, we do. Jesus is, is what we need. He needs to be the center of our relationships, center of our community. We need to trust. We need to have faith that Jesus is our provider. He's our comforter. He's our restorer. He's our healer. And he will be the one that keeps us together and out of a lonely state of mind. And he's going to be the one that sticks closer to, the bro- than, to us than a brother. And he's going to be the one that will bring the person need, that we need a partnership in the gospel with. And we need that person. just read a story to you as we close here and, and we'll pray. William Cooper might be familiar to some of us. 32 years old when he met Jesus. He didn't meet him in a Sunday school. He didn't meet Jesus in a revival meeting or at a church. He met Jesus in an asylum not long after he tried to kill himself for the third time. His father was the chaplain to King George II and was intended on raising William to be a religious man. As it were, William thought he knew God, but he never meant much to him. At six, year old, six years old, his father sent him off to boarding school. It was hard for William to be in this new place. And what started out as an older boy bullying him quickly turned into abuse. And from that time on, a deep darkness haunted William. Depression is not easily explained, but William was never a stranger to pain. As a young man, He fell in love with a woman and dated her for years. They planned to marry, but in the end, her father forbade the marriage. Cooper found comfort in his poetry and was quite successful in it. He had everything that the world could offer, a best-selling publication, a a book review of his writings by Benjamin Franklin. He was known internationally, but none of this held any meaning for him. William's darkness deepened, and he attempted suicide several times. His doctor, Nathaniel Cotton, happened to be a Christian who would share the scriptures with William. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and were justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to, receive, to be received by faith. The words of Paul's letter to the Romans were deeply impressed on his heart, and Cooper wrote immediately, I received the strength to believe it, and the full beams of the sons of righteous, the sun of righteousness shone upon me. I saw the sufficiency of the atonement of Jesus had made, my pardon sealed in his blood, and all the fulfillment and completion of his justification. Although William met Jesus in the asylum, he never did what would be considered the perf- he never did have what would be considered the perfect Christian life. He continued to struggle with loneliness and depression all the days of his life, but despite the pain, his hope still remained in the gospel. He wrote the following in one of his darkest hours. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Loneliness, loss, and despair were not the final words of William Cooper. As he wrote his best-known hymn, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. I'm going to put this, uh, this video on right now, and it has the song by William Cooper on it called There is a Fountain Filled with Blood. And if there's anybody in here this morning that feels like this message has touched their heart, I'd like to pray with you. 
um, if you're feeling loneliness in a pit of despair or something that, um, that feels like you just can't get out of, um, I believe God's here to meet with you. He's spoken to us through the worship this morning. He's spoken to us through, the, through prophecy. And I believe that he wants to come and he wants to fulfill that, that, that void in your life through means of gospel partnership and through means of a, of a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ who can restore your life. So feel free to come forward while this message is being uh, played. And if you need to go, feel free to go. I would just ask that you uh, please try to be quiet and maybe we can shut the doors and we can let the ministry happen inside. Amen. Amen. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged Yeah.
Father, I thank you this morning for the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your son being buried, died, and raised, raising again, Lord God, to, to fill that void in our lives. Lord God, thank you for reconciling us to the Father this morning, Lord God. There are people in here this morning that feel disconnected from you this morning. God, I pray that you would meet them in their loneliness this morning in the name of Jesus, and that you would bring them out of a pit of despair or lack of hope this morning, Lord God, and that you would, in the name of Jesus, bring somebody to, to be our gospel partner this morning. If we don't have one now, I pray that you would bring that now, Lord God, that you would show that to us right now, who we can be partnerships with in the ministry of reconciliation and the Great Commission, God. Father, move us forward. Thank you for not abandoning us or forsaking us. We put our hope and our trust in your word in Jesus' name. Amen.